0: will you bow your heads with me? Gracious God, now as we open up your word, we pray for a fresh word. We pray for new insight, and we pray for, for understanding of what's been true for thousands of years. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I think it's been two, two Sabbaths since I've stood up here. And um, I was telling the elders, or not the elders, I think I start talking to the church board, and I said, I think I got off to a bumpy start this year, um, but now I've hit the ground running, and so I'll be here for a while. So a couple of you, there was a couple of you who sent me messages and were worried that something might have happened. Um, if you recall, I believe it was the second, was it was the second Sabbath of the year, I had a, a really negative and bad reaction to, I think it was pain medicine, and so I was in bed all day, and it was just gross, and it was horrible, so I couldn't come to church, and so I called in sick. Um, and then I was back for a week, and then I, I, was, I had a trip that was planned, and so for those of you who, who are thinking, man, is something wrong with the pastor, the answer is there's tons of things wrong with me. Um, <laughs> But that's none of those reasons is why I was gone. So I'll tell you where I have been for the last two weeks or so. I was in a city by the name of Cooperstown, and I don't even think it's a city. City, I don't think it qualifies. So it's more like a town or the village of Cooperstown. So that's in the state of New York. And if you look, that was actually taken on January 23rd. Um, it was at negative four at the time when I was. I did a screenshot of this picture. So it was almost eight o'clock at night. I think. Um, So I was in Cooperstown. It's the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, I've been there (laughs) many times. We've been there several times before. My brother lives in Cooperstown, and so my brother and his wife, they've been gracious to me over the years, and they've allowed me to come out whenever I needed some time to retreat, to get away. And so this particular time, I went with a specific intention of working on some projects. Um, So I've been working on trying to write a devotional through the book of the Proverbs, And so I did that. I got a couple of entries, and I did a couple of other pieces that I've been working on. Um, And then, if you read the pastor's page, there was a couple of days where I sat and I just read the Bible from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. Just a couple of pictures, just so I can kind of share with you my journey. Um, This is what it looked like everywhere I went. This was on one of my runs. It was four degrees, I think, that day, or nine degrees. And if you have if we're friends on Facebook, you saw that I was covered completely. And the only thing that was exposed were my eyes. Um, and even that was cold. Um, and so it was just a beautiful setting for me to go and to retreat. And I believe I have one or two more pictures, maybe just one. And so this was my workstation while I was there for those uh, nine days. And so that's my brother's dining room. And and so this is where I got to stay. And then I would be remiss if I didn't show you this picture. Um, that was right in front of the picture I just showed you, those windows in the back. That's their dog, Hallie, and they treat her better than... I've seen anybody treat a dog. Um, She gets human food all the time. I remember one day I I was coming downstairs and I smelled something really delicious, and so I I asked my brother, what's for dinner? He says, no, no, this is for Hallie. (laughs) It was a a writing retreat. It was also a spiritual retreat that it turned out to be. Um, I think I read somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 Bible pages which is kind of a lot when it's the Bible. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying I was able to go through that and really let the scriptures kind of seep into me. And, and so I was able to just have a wonderful time. Um, and it was uninterrupted. It was just in silence for most of the day um, until dinner time. And so it was, it was great, and I hope to do this every year. I share this with you because I want you to know where I was. I wasn't just out playing hooky, I'm, you know, but it was, it was doing something intentional. So now, as we get started, I want all of you, how many of you have a cell phone? Can yeah, I see you guys lift it up? Lift it up! Lift them up! Lift them up! I see you guys on them sometimes. Okay, while we're in church. So here's what I want you to do. No, I'm not going to ask you to turn them off. I'm actually going to give you divine permission to do something. I want you to type this number into your text messaging. All of you guys, right now, real quick. Dial the number on your screen. When you guys have it, say Amen slide out? You guys are not this slow. It's my number. If you guys have my Google number, just put my number in. Amen, amen. Do we have them, or is is your number put in there? Okay, all right. So here's what I want you to do. I want to do something a little bit fun this morning, and I want you to answer the question that is on the bottom of the screen. In the text, and I want you to press send on the text, name one thing that kids are supposed to do um, but most likely do not do unless you have to remind them, scold them, nag them, punishment. So name something that kids do not like to do. I want you to, and then I want you to send it. Are we sending? I'll give you guys a couple of seconds. You don't have to have kids to do this because you were once a kid. Are we good? Can I go? Are we sending them? Are we receiving them? Okay, yes, we are receiving tons of them. Okay, good. I have your number in here, so if you guys try to get kind of funny with me, all right, I know who you are. (laughs) So you said something inappropriate, I'm going to talk to you in my office after. (laughs) All right, so while that, so we have somebody in the top, we have someone upstairs who's going to be going over these, and in a few moments we're going to give you the results of the top three things. But before we get there, I want you to open up your Bible. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 48, and I'm going to read what it says here. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As your Father in heaven is perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I, when I was in Cooperstown, I went to the small town of Oneonta and the church was probably the size of the our patio, tiny, tiny church. They didn't have a pastor. I didn't volunteer my services because I, I, I wasn't dressed for the occasion. And um, we listened to a sermon on video on what it means to be perfect, and to which I thought, I think that's a good idea for us to look at. But I had a problem with it. How many of you have ever come across a passage in the Bible and you just think to yourself, that's not Right. Have you ever been reading the Bible, you come across a passage, and you think to yourself, I don't think that that's what that's supposed to say there. Have any of you, has that ever happened to anybody? If it's not happened to you, this is one of those passages where you should probably stop and think to yourself for a, for a second, that doesn't sound right. On your very best day, how many of you have ever gotten close to being like God? On your best day, anybody? No, because even on our very best day of trying our hardest to be the best person, the most godly person, the most loving person, the least sinful person, even on our very best day, we fall excruciatingly short of being like God. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I want to look at the word perfect for just a moment here. Now, the Greek word is teleos, so it has a, it has a, a concept or an idea of something that's mo- working towards something, moving towards something, or teleos, the path towards something. So the word perfect can mean a, a couple of different things, but the idea behind it is that it, it talks about being perfect or genuine, perfect in physical form or complete. Another word that the Bible writers sometimes would substitute for this is the word mature, an adult, or initiated. Well, we can begin to kind of of have a shape or an understanding of this is that when God says be perfect, or Jesus says be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, what Jesus is saying is so much more. He's saying be a whole, whole, perfect, complete, be mature, continue to grow so that one day you can be like God. So at this moment, I want to ask you to just push the oversized pause button because I want us to turn to a different scripture. Now, I want you to think about this. What does the Bible writer mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? If you've been around the Adventist church, there have been all sorts of debates and all sorts of arguments as to what that passage means. There has been all sorts of debates about whether it means that you can actually reach perfection in this lifetime. I would, I would argue unequivocally that that's impossible. I would argue that any kind of theology that teaches that you can be perfect is forgetting the fact that Jesus dies because he has to forgive us of our sins. Death is the result of our sin. And if we could be perfect, then Jesus wouldn't need to be here. But Jesus still says it be perfect so we have to wrestle with the question what did Jesus mean so we're going oops sorry so we're going to pause that and I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 51 This sermon this morning is for all you who are sinners If you're not a sinner you have permission to go home We have permission to go home anyway cuz I can't force you to stay but if you're not a sinner, you, don't, you, know, you, you can actually skip today's teaching. But I have a sense that this teaching is for all of us. It's not just for those of you and I who are sinners, but it's a, it's a teaching about what a confession looks like in Scripture. So I want to read to you from verse 1. Have mercy on me, God, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. When David writes this, before he even says, I'm sorry, Lord, what David is doing is making a foundational statement about who God is. Before David begins to make any excuses, or before David begins to give any reasons as to why he has sinned, he begins with the foundational understanding that God is a God of steadfast love and of abundant mercy now we all know that this is true right how many of you have ever sinned you can raise your hands how many of you know that after you've sinned you're still technically forgiven because jesus has forgiven you the bible teaches us that jesus has given us forgiveness on the cross however how many of you after sinning and after knowing that you've been forgiven how many of you still carry the guilt of being sinful yeah we do we do that because we know deep within our hearts that there is a God who is perfect and there is a God who steadfast love and his abundant mercy has already blotted out our transgressions. But here's the kick. For David, he didn't know that this was true. Because during David's time, there was a place where the Israelites would have to come, and they would have to bring animals, depending what they could afford, and then they would offer up these animals as sacrifices. And once a year, the high priest would enter into what was called the most holy place, and then they would do another sacrifice, and then God would forgive the entire nation of Israel. So when David was writing this, he didn't have the same understanding that you and I have about grace. When David was writing this, he knew that he deserved to die. When David was writing this, and some people believe that David wrote this after he um, had an affair with Bathsheba, okay, and then had her husband killed in war, all right? So a lot of people think that he wrote this after that, and as a result of this, um, God takes away the son that they had out of wedlock. Okay? So this was huge. Now, nowadays, we hear about this all the time. Just this week, we hear that star quarterback for the Dolphins, Dan Marino, um, fathered a child out of wedlock in about 2005 or something like that. We hear these stories now, and we think, well, that's, yeah, it happens. Everyone does it. Not everyone, but you know what I'm saying? It's become so commonplace that no one, people don't really care anymore about the sin because it's like, oh, it happens. That kind of stuff happens. But for David, it happened and that son was taken away from him. That son was di- died. So when David is making the statement about God, he didn't know that God was as graceful as we have come to understand because Jesus was thousands of years in the future. So in essence, what David was saying is, God, I know you're merciful, and I know that you have this steadfast love for me. And he puts himself at the mercy of the God who had every right to kill him. And so we move on. Verse 2. So then David goes on. He says, Wash me, and here's where the request comes. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David makes the request. He says, I know that you are this God who is perfect, and you are a God that is very different than I am. And so the request says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. To which I would ask, and I don't need you to answer this question or raise your hand, how many of you have ever committed a sin and you just know that you are dirty? I had a friend one time tell me, he goes, you have no idea. This is a guy who is a pastor, a guy I admire, um, a guy that I would, I would be his associate pastor if I ever had the opportunity. I love this guy this much. But even this guy who has brought so many people to Christ, I mean, he has baptized hundreds. This is a guy, I mean, amazing guy. He says, you, you don't understand. We're having a conversation he says, I'm tainted. I'm dirty. I'm sinful. But we've all been there. We will all be there again, where after we have sinned, we know that the dirt and the shame of sin is upon us. And David knows that, and so he begs, to for, he begs God to forgive him and to cleanse him. So as we look at this as a confession, maybe as a confession that you will use someday, the first part is that God is God, and God is steadfast of, full of steadfast love and of mercy. He is ready to wash your transgressions away. And then comes the request when David says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me. And then verse 3 says, For I know my transgressions. Here's the acknowledgment. I don't think that it's ever enough just to say, God, I'm sorry, please cleanse me because I don't like feeling this way. But then he acknowledges what he's done. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. What does David do? He acknowledges that he has sinned, and he has sinned against God. How many of you have, have ever been wronged by someone, or someone has said something or done something, and then they say, sorry, but you don't really buy it? Has that ever happened to any of you? You don't have to raise your hands. I'm sure it's happened to all of us. Unless the person acknowledges what they've done, does it feel like a real apology? What's that? No. Unless someone acknowledges what they've actually done, they're not really being apologetic. And what we find here as a pattern for our confession and for apologizing in essence to God is David owns up and says, I have sinned against you. Against you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. He says, so if you want to kill me, I'm paraphrasing, you will, be, if you, want, you, are, you will be blameless when you pass judgment. If you want to extinguish me from the face of this earth, God, I have nothing to say because I have done the crime. I have sinned against you. So whatever you decide is good for me, for, uh, for, me, for whatever you decide is a good judgment to do to me, then I will have no recourse to complain or to beg any differently because I am guilty. This confession for David is his, is his acknowledgement that he actually has done something wrong. And then I'm going to look at verse 5. I'll read verse 5. Indeed, this is what he says, Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. Now, the funny thing about this is David says, I'm sorry, I've, I'm owning up to all of this. And then he makes an excuse. Then he says, I was born guilty. I was a sinner when my mother conceived me. It's kind of when, like when, when God comes to Adam in Genesis and says, what is this that you have done? And what does Adam say? It's this woman that you gave me. The excuses begin to mount up. Yeah, Lord, we did this, but you don't understand all the pressure I was going through. Yes, Lord, I did this, but you don't understand all of these other things. And the truth is that there's no excuse. When you own up and you acknowledge what you've done, you can't use anything as an excuse because you still did it. It doesn't matter how you were feeling. It doesn't matter what the circumstances were. It doesn't matter any of those external things because at the end of it, you still did it. And so when we come to this passage, what we find is that even David is saying, but I have a reason as to why. I want to pause one more time. Guys upstairs and gals, do we have the... We ready to go? Okay. So now I'm going to give you the top three, and this is our AV team. I believe it's Aaron who's upstairs working on this, and so he got us real, real. What do they call it? Real time results of the top three things that we believe kids do um, that th- that they don't do rather, chores or clean up, such as the room or their bed, etc. Things like that. The number two result of what kids don't do unless they're nagged um, is obey. And listen to their parents. And the third one is brush their, <laughs> brush their teeth or shower. Um, I think that's an adult problem too though. I'm just, <laughs> the brushing teeth thing, I think we all shower I hope. At least on Sabbath we hope that you at least once a week shower when you come to church. So these are the top Three things that kids do not or do not like to do unless they are nagged. So now I have another homework assignment for you guys. I think I have it coming up. I want you now to get out your text, your phone phones again. I want you to get out your phones. You can just, I think, just go ahead and, 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 and respond to the same text. And I want you to answer the following question. Give reasons why, ki- give, well, reasons that kids give as to why they weren't able to do what they were asked to do. I want you to give reasons. Just text one or two reasons, just really quickly. um, The reasons that kids give as to why they don't do. I see. I wouldn't know any of this because I always did what I was asked to do when I was a kid. So messed up. (laughs) They're like, whatever, pastor. It's all right. My parents don't come here. They don't know. So real quickly, give reasons, one or two reasons as to the reasons that kids give as to why they weren't able to do what they were asked to do. And we're going to move on here. Verse 6. They're they're, they're working with this high-tech stuff. Something that the Israelite priests would use to clean the blood of the animals that were sacrificed. So this was some heavy-duty, you know, Old Testament type of 409 or simple green or whatever thing you use to clean stuff or bleach, I guess, for blood, right? And so what David is saying, he says, Purge me with hyssop, shall, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You see, because when we sin, we are left with the stain. And even though we know that we are forgiven, every sin that we com- commit becomes a part of who we are because it remains in our collective memory. And David is begging God, please forgive me for this in essence what David is asking is lord please make the consequences of this sin go away oftentimes it's the consequence of some of these bigger sins that we commit where the consequence is harder than we can bear and if it's true that David wrote this when his son was killed was taken from him David is saying take this pain away because when we sin it's never just what happens to you It's what happens to the people that are around you. And the passage continues. David says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David is hurt. He is acknowledging. He is asking. But here he is also in some ways asking for the first signs or, or the first signs of repentance. And then he says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. If you are the one that got yourself into that trouble in the first place, you're probably not the right person to change things within yourself, Right? We are creatures of habit, and so we, we become addicted to doing things, and we begin to form patterns and habits of doing things, and it's hard for us to break them. And so what David here is saying is this, it's a deep, existential, foundational understanding where he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. I would say this. What David is actually saying is that he is begging God to put the right motivations in his heart. He is asking God to somehow supersede his ability to choose. And he says, God, I choose that you would, in essence, reprogram my heart, my mind, my soul, so that I only want and desire the very best. This is a teaching about what what is it that motivates you. When you do things, what is it that is motivating you? Are you motivated just by your feelings? Can your feelings be deceptive? Have you ever said something in anger that you wish you could take back? So you can't use your feelings as a way to determine what you are going to say or do. What are your motivations? What is your motivation for your life and for, for this world? I mean, what is it that is driving you? What is it that is, that, co- that is compelling you? What are you filling yourself with now? I want to read another passage from Scripture, another, again, the words of Jesus. And Jesus says this, For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. You see, David Thousands of years before Jesus echoes this, what he is saying is, I want to be filled with only things that are good, that are pure, that are honorable, that are just. What David is saying is, take away all this selfishness, selfishness, selfishness from me. Take away all of this ego. Take away all of this pride. Take away all of it, because really what got David into trouble is that he wanted to satisfy an urge. He saw something. He wanted it. He took it. He didn't think about the consequences. All he cared about is, I want what's right in front of me. And so what he then is asking for is, God, in essence, take away those feelings and that desire to always get what I want. And when Jesus later would say, "Is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, if you speak bitterly, perhaps your heart is bitter. If you speak hurtful words, then perhaps you have been filled with hurt. But then the opposite is true as well. If you speak words of love and of compassion and of forgiveness, then you have understood what it feels like to be forgiven and loved and accepted. What Jesus is saying is what you fill your heart with will actually come out of you as actions. It's not just saying that what is your heart is. It's not just saying that what your heart is filled with is going to come out of your mouth. That's one way how we speak and what we say to people. That's one indication of what's in our heart. But it's also about our external actions. What are we doing? How are we living our lives? What are the things that we're going to and being drawn to? Because it is those things that determine whether your heart is full of God's grace, full of God's love, full of full of God's mercy. You guys have all heard the expression, hurt people, hurt other people. Loved people, love other people. Forgiven people, forgive other people. You have understood God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, if you are merciful, loving, and forgiving towards others. And so Jesus says, it is out of the abundance of your heart. It matters what you expose yourself to. It matters what you put into your, into your mind, what you put into your heart, what you put into your body. All that matters because all of that begins to shape you. It begins to become a composite of who you are, and all of that will come out, and you may not see it, but everyone else will. And so David says, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be pure. I want to be holy. I want to be forgiven. Lord, please. He is, he's literally begging him, but he's already said, but if you don't forgive me, I understand. You deserve to kill me. That's fine. But if you do forgive me, he says, give me a clean heart. And then it says, and then David says, I love this, we're skipping to verse 13. Well, then verse 11 says, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me in a willing spirit. And then verse 13 says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You know, it's interesting because he acknowledges and acknowledges that he's done wrong. He has asked for forgiveness. He has asked for more than forgiveness. He's asked for a clean heart. He's asked to be cleansed. He's asked for his guilt to be removed. And then he says this, and his response near the end is, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Forgiveness isn't just for you, but rather what we find in this psalm is that forgiveness can then lead you to help other people who make those same Mistakes. The Christian walk. The mature Christian person is one who walks alongside others and teaches them the way of their errors. And then David says, "This the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart." O oh God, O oh God, you will not despise me. And then he says, "For you have no delight in sacrifice." If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. That's what, and then it says, a sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise me. Forgiveness, or asking for forgiveness, is about owning up to what you've done, voicing it, and understanding that God is a God of grace and mercy. And in God's goodness and mercy, He has forgiven us. And there is no room for excuses. There is no room for giving all of these reasons why we did what we did or that it was somebody else's fault or it was something else that made us do it. But rather, it's owning up to the fact that we are in desperate need of forgiveness. And David says An acceptable, the sacrifice that is acceptable to God is a broken and a contrite heart. The thing is, is that what we desire from other people when they're asking for forgiveness is in essence the very thing that David does and says to God. The model of forgiveness and of confessing to God is the same model of forgiveness and confession that we make to one another. And David says, oh God, give me a clean heart because he wants his motivations to be clean and to be pure. And so now I think we have, do we have the results upstairs? All right. So these are the reasons that kids give as to why they can't do, oh my goodness, that they cannot do. So here are the, they forgot, or they were tired. So those are like the top two answers, and the rest are too much homework, I didn't know, I was busy, it's boring and lazy, easily distracted, it was someone else's fault, I didn't hear. I love that one. My son tries to do that to me. I'm like, I'm not dumb. Like, I know I said it. exactly I'm like I did it already I wanted to finish watching TV or I was playing a game and I couldn't leave in the middle that one's excusable I don't know I kind of understand that one (laughs) because if you're like right about to beat that stage I guess (laughs) are these real valid reasons as to why kids don't do what they're supposed to are they no what are these called excuses excuses You guys know the saying, right? Excuses are like noses. Everybody has one. The truth is that this morning we're beginning a sermon series, and the title of the sermon series is, Yes, Lord, I've Sinned, but I have several excellent excuses. The truth is is that as we look at Psalm 51, that God doesn't want to hear our excuses God doesn't want to hear all the reasons why we did them or all the reasons that the other person made me do it. All God says is, all we see in the scripture and this model of a confession is, yes, I've done it, but you are a God of mercy and of love, and we know that we have been forgiven. And so I want to end where I started. The idea of God, of Jesus saying, be perfect as your heavenly Father, and heaven is perfect, isn't talking about sin. If you go home today and you read that passage in the Bible, what God is saying is that he wants us to be loving as God is loving. If you read the entire passage, it's about how it shows that God is a God of love and a God of mercy, and Jesus wants us to be as loving as possible so that we can be just like God to others. And the way that connects with Psalm 51 is in verse 10 when David says, create in me a clean heart. Give me a clean heart, a pure heart. What God wants from you and what God wants from me is for us to be filled with God's love, to be filled with God's compassion and forgiveness, because when we do, we will be the greatest witnesses of who God is to the world around us. To have a a pure and a clean heart is about understanding that God has loved you regardless of what you've done, and he wants us to share that with other people. And so this morning, I want to just challenge you that the next time you're kneeling before God and you're asking for forgiveness, I encourage you to own up to it because owning up to what you've done is much harder than just saying sorry. Owning up to it and knowing that there's consequences but that you are still forgiven gives you a depth of scope of how forgiving God is. And it doesn't matter how bad or what you've done, God still forgives you. Don't be like these children who give excuses. God doesn't want excuses. All God wants is for your heart to be open to his change and his Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm